Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Psychology Journal with your host JY. Today we're going to be talking about personality and we have a special guest today which I will introduce later. First we're going to go over how personality is defined and measured and then we will get into deciphering our special guest's personality and what this means for her based on psychology research. Once again, a disclaimer that I am not a psychologist. All of this information is gathered from my university courses and other resources. Without further ado, let's get into it. Personality is defined as a set of psychological traits and mechanisms within the individual that's organized and relatively enduring over time and it influences interactions and our adaptations to our environment. However, personality is not attitudes, specific morals, values, beliefs, or abilities, such as cognitive intelligence, physical characteristics, or other social categories. These are all attained and not personality traits. Personality influences how we act, our perspectives, how we interact and react, how we feel, how we select our environment, and what goals and desires we pursue in life. Personality controls adaptive functioning, such as accomplishing goals, coping, adjusting, and dealing with challenges and problems that we face as we go through life. But what do you think determines personality? Our nature or our nurture? So our nature as in our innate, we're born with it, or nurture as in our environment. Research shows that it's about it's both. It's about 50-50 depending on which of the big five traits and we'll get into the big five traits later. Now we're going to talk about how personality is measured. So a very common measure of personality is the Myers-Briggs type indicator. I'm sure a lot of people may be familiar with this. It's like the thing that says ENTFs or INTFs or They also have names for specific categories, like for example, I tested it and I am a protagonist, but there are also 15 other types. So there's 16 types in total, and it's based on four different dimensions. It uses a categorical approach to personality. It's made by Catherine Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Briggs Myers, and they came upon Carl Jung's theory and developed their assessment, but their assessment is not very valid. The problem is that they use a categorical approach instead of a dimensional approach to personality types. It assumes large differences between the different categories of personality. So this is not a valid way of measuring personality in research or for, prof- or for professional contexts because it doesn't have good test retest reliability. Other than the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, there's a lot of different models to measure personality, but I'm going to focus on the five-factor model. It's the leading personality taxonomy today, and it uses five broad traits or factors based on a lexical and statistical approach. So they grabbed a bunch of adjectives of traits, and then they were able to narrow it down to five traits that encompasses the rest of the trait words. So it's the most empirically strong evidence-based approach to studying personality. It's one of the most successful models in psychology ever. It's a more dimensional model since it uses scales for each factor of personality. That's why it also has high 
test-retest reliability and makes it a better approach than the MBTI. They use the OCEAN acronym. OCEAN, so O for openness, C for conscientiousness, E for extroversion, A for agreeableness, and N for neuroticism. So going over each trait, openness to experience, openness also reflects intellect or curiosity, Openness also includes aesthetics, appreciation of art, feelings, ideas. They're more open to new ideas. They're out-of-the-box thinkers. They approach things in a variety of ways. And they value. They have open values, so they're more liberal. Conscientiousness, which is the second trait, encompasses competence, meth- methodicalness, dutifulness, deliberation, self-discipline, and achievement striving. And then third trait, extroversion. They have a more tendency for positive affect. It includes gregariousness. They enjoy company. They have high activity level, assertiveness, warmth, excitement seeking, and positive emotions. Fourth trait, agreeableness. They trust in others. They're easygoing, modesty, compliance, straightforward. They're not deceptive. They're tender-minded, sensitive, and empathetic selfless and they avoid conflict and the final trait neuroticism aka emotional instability it encompasses anxiety depression self-consciousness vulnerability reactivity anger and hostility some critics have mentioned that there's a possible omission to the big five traits for example honesty and humility which is included in the hexaco model of personality However, I'm going to focus on the big five because it has the most psychology research derived from it. Okay, so now it's time to welcome our guest, Michelle. Say hi. Hello. Are you ready to decipher your personality? I'm a little scared, not going to lie. Okay, so I'm going to get you to read out your results here and then we're going to go through it together. Um, My openness was 52%, conscientiousness 60%. Extroversion, 44. Agreeableness, a 69. And my neuroticism at a whopping 90%. Wow. Okay. That neuroticism is really peeking through the roof there. Okay. So we're going to go through each trait one by one. So first is openness to experience. You're generally in the middle, so you might not have... These might not relate to you, but these could relate to you. So let's go through it. So you're more likely to use humor... You use better and more effective coping methods and you're less likely to develop PTSD because you're more likely to stay resilient in extreme stress. Does that sound like you? I I don't, I guess so. I mean... But you'll also see later that these are contradicted with your neuroticism. I see. That might, yep. Okay, so moving on, people in high and openness are also more flexible and have more inclusive cognition, specifically with how they see visually. So you see more creatively and you're open to new ideas. That does not relate to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so those who are also high in openness tend to remember their dreams more. They have more dreams. They have more waking dreams, more vivid dreams, more prophetic dreams, which are dreams that are about something that might happen in the future. And you have more problem-solving dreams too. Do you dream a lot? I do dream a lot, and I have a dream journal that I write, like, all the dreams that I remember. Oh. And there's a lot. They're honestly mostly nightmares. <laughs> okay. Surprisingly so. Okay, maybe that's a mix of your neuroticism and your openness, then. Maybe. Okay. 
So next, openness has been linked to experimentation with new foods or a liking of novel experiences and even openness to having extramarital affairs. Whoa there. So would you say you're open to new new things? Yes, I'm definitely, I'm not picky at all. Mm-hmm. Like I'm very open to trying new things. Okay, but I don't think you're open to having extramarital affairs. No, I don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. I don't think so. Okay. Also, high in openness is linked with measures of creativity. Do you think you're a creative individual? No. Okay. I think I'm actually quite the opposite. I guess that's like to be assumed because you're only 2% higher on yeah. openness. So, okay. Also, those high in openness exhibit less prejudice against minority groups. You're less likely to hold racial stereotypes and you're more likely to get tattoos or body piercings and you're politically more liberal. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm more definitely more liberal. Yeah, well, it's good to know that you're not racist. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a that's good, good thing to have in a person, hey? But you don't have any tattoos, do you? No, and I only have one piercing, which is the most generic one. Okay. Yeah, so not everything, but some things you relate to. Also, high in openness, excel in achievement in arts and higher levels of musical sophistication. I guess that would make sense. Yeah, because you're good at music, right? Yeah. What instruments do you play? Piano, violin, learning the bass, guitar. Oh. That'll be fun. Yeah, so lots of kind of maybe like musical creativity Mm. more for you. Yeah. Also, openness has been correlated with a host of other fascinating variables with from intru- intrusive stimuli to possible alternative sex partners. What does that even mean? I think that just means you're open to having more sex partners and more... Than like, like one. And exploring your sexuality, yeah. So polygamy. Yeah, kind of. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't think that's you I don't though. think that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely not you. Okay, moving on to conscientiousness. Conscientious individuals are industrious, they get ahead, they work hard, they're punctual, and they're reliable. Conscientious individuals also result in a good host of life, so they have higher GPA, greater job satisfaction, greater job security, and more positive and committed social relationships. And you scored, I believe, a 60% on conscientiousness? Yes, you did. And so let's see what this means for you. They tend to be perfectionists setting high standards for themselves and they score higher on achievement motivation yeah i i would say i have high standards for myself but sometimes i set them low so if i fail i'm not disappointed (laughs) okay (laughs) also your neuroticism shining through right there (laughs) okay high on high on conscientiousness are also more likely to stick to a good plan for physical exercise and they're less likely to gain weight when they get into their middle age I haven't experienced that because I'm not in my middle ages yet, yeah. but... We'll see. Maybe we'll see if you're, like, overweight in yeah, your like middle ages. Yeah, 30 down the line, 30 yeah, years we'll down see. the line. Currently, you're not, so you're on a good roll. High scores on conscientiousness also, conscientiousness also display more passion and perseverance for long-term goals. I mean, yeah, I would say I have long-term goals. I don't think I, like, think about them every day, though. Okay, yeah makes sense i don't think everybody thinks about it <laughs> and you're more likely to do voluntary work when you retire i'll let you know also how old are you just so the audience knows i'm 21 yeah so am i okay also these are people with low conscientiousness this is what happens 
it's kind of not very good, but low conscientious individuals is linked with risky sexual behavior. So failing to use condoms and being more responsive to other potential partners while already in an existing romantic relationship. Mm, That's not good. Yeah, low conscientious people may be cheaters. But high conscientious individuals tend to perform well in school and work and avoid breaking rules. And they have more stable and secure relationships, which I think is true for you. You have a very stable and secure relationship. Yeah, we've been going on for a while. I definitely also try to avoid breaking the rules. I'm very much mm-hmm. stick stick by the book kind of gal. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Highly conscientious people also experience a substantial drop in psychological well-being when they're unemployed for extended periods of time. So don't be unemployed. Good to know. Yeah, your psychological my best not to. <laughs> your psychological well-being will suffer if you do. So now we're gonna move on to extroversion, also in also introversion, because Michelle here is an introvert. She's forty four percent on extroversion, meaning she's six percent lower in extroversion, meaning she is an introvert, but not entirely. You have some extroversion in you. So introverts do have a greater responsiveness and greater arousal. They get overstimulated from social situations compared to extroverts. So you come out of social gatherings more drained. Yeah, I can see that. I guess I think it also depends on the people I'm with. Because if, let's say, like, I'm with strangers, I need to work harder to, like, Mm. give a certain image of myself, right? So that kind of drains me a lot. But, like, if I'm with you or, like, any of our other friends, I'm, like, whatever. Okay, that's actually very relatable. So that, I didn't consider that, so that's a good point. Extroverts also tend to be more physically stronger than introverts because they engage in more vigorous and frequent physical exercise. Hmm. Which I didn't think about, but I I am an extrovert, and Michelle here is an introvert. And you definitely do a lot more physical activity than me. And I'm definitely stronger than Michelle, so that that holds true for us. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't apply to you, but extroverts drive fast and listen to music, and they get into car accidents more frequently, and uh, and then their introvert peers, which is true. You've only had one accident, which was like a scratch. Yeah, that like it wasn't an accident, basically. Yeah, and I've been into accidents, so that that is so that holds true for us. Also, introverts are more likely to save for money, save money for retirement. I'm also, but I'm a spender, man. Really? For food, I, I'm a I'm a diehard for food. Are you serious? Because I feel like every time we go out, you don't actually spend that much money. Yeah, but I spend a lot of money eating in. Oh, okay. You yeah. know what? We all have things that we love we need to buy we Mm -hmm. just need to buy it (laughs) but okay now we're gonna move on to agreeableness i'm so excited to get to neuroticism because this is where it goes down (laughs) but that's the last one so for agreeableness agreeable people try to get along with others michelle also scored pretty high on agreeableness she got a 69 percent and agreeable people tend to engage and protect relationships also females are more likely to be agreeable than men makes sense yeah and those who score high on agreeableness favor using negotiation to resolve conflicts, and low agreeable individuals try to assert their power to resolve conflicts. That it definitely makes sense. I'm not a very, how do you say? Assert power. Yeah, I'm not an assertive person. If anything, I'll let everything linger. Oh my god. <laughs> Which is probably not good. Yeah, you would rather use negotiation, but even negotiation is it's like... It's like, oh, no, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> 
Okay, agreeable people also tend are more likely to withdraw from social conflicts, so they avoid situations that are unharmonious. That is facts. Yeah, so they don't like confrontation, they don't like physical fights, they don't like any of that, which makes sense. Agreeable children also tend to be often less victimized by bullies during adolescence. Were you ever bullied? No, I was the bully. Surprisingly so. What? Yeah. You were the bully? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Wait, okay. A change in demeanor happened somewhere along the lines. Wait, but how did you bully people? Physically. No, wait. What? <laughs> this is going against your agreeable trait. Yeah. So I don't know what happened there. I think I learned from my mistakes. Okay. Well, actually, later in the session, we're going to go through how your personality changes over time. And obviously, as you grow older, you get more agreeable. Mm-hmm. You get more conscientious. Yeah. So as a child, you were a rascal. Yes. <laughs> only to people i didn't like though okay or you or people you liked exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> okay those high on agreeableness seem to be good at reading other people's minds too their empathetic ability leads them to forgive others more too mm. do you think you can read people easily i think i can definitely see when like vibes change mm. and then like i can see like maybe like who is the person that's causing this vibe change okay yeah but yeah so you have just that like social awareness yeah which i think a lot of people have um but also people high in agreeableness are good at making people happy if they try to mm, i see that makes yeah. sense which is nice that's a good trait to I feel have like people with high agreeableness are they like people pleasers essentially yeah exactly on the other side of the scale of agreeableness lies aggressiveness. So less agreeable people are more aggressive. Mm. And you are definitely not an aggressive person. No. I don't think I've ever seen you aggressive <laughs> in my life. So, yeah, never. Yeah, no, never. never. I never. don't think I could ever be. It's, but it depends to who. I feel like I could be aggressive to some people, but not most. Yeah. Okay, now we're at the final stretch. We're at neuroticism. I am so excited to go through this with you because Michelle scored a 90%. (laughs) She is not emotionally stable. (laughs) Okay. Okay, on the dimension of neuroticism, emotional stability taps into the way people cope with stress. So people high on neuroticism use less effective coping strategies which is different from what we talked about in openness. That's why it kind of contradicts. So you're less likely to engage in problem solving. You're more passive and you're more emotion focused. You're self-blaming and you have this withdrawal from confrontation. That is, yeah, that's me. (laughs) That's like textbook definition me. Okay, yeah, 90% it's got to be you mostly. Neuroticism is also associated with higher vigilance for threatening cues in the environment. So that what that means is you're more likely to perceive events as stressful and severe, like severe as challenges, and appraise events as threats. You're going to think that things that happen to you are threats more than other people. Mm. And you have greater stress reactivity, physiologically and psychologically. Interesting. Yeah. So in the same situation, same stressful situation, you will find something more stressful than another person. Makes sense. Yeah. Is that because I also don't put myself in stressful situations? Oh, it might also be because you're an introvert, so you don't... I don't, I don't like, often go put myself... Go in stressful situations. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense, too. Also, agreeableness, openness, and conscientiousness is associated with 
lower appraisals of threat, generally positive outcomes. So you're agreeable, you're open, and you're conscientious. So you have lower appraisals of threat, but this is also counterbalanced with your neuroticism because you have higher threat appraisal. (laughs) So it's like sometimes you will think that it's stressful and then sometimes you'll think it's not that stressful. Interesting. Yeah. Is what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, some traits in neuroticism like worrying might seem maladaptive, but they have rewarding characteristics for a person eliciting social support with greater empathy. So you are able to elicit more empathy to someone when you're trying to support them due to your excessive worrying, I guess. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, you're more likely to check up on the person. You're more likely to understand. Because I'm constantly worried about (laughs) everything and everyone. Yeah, exactly. I see. Yeah. Uh, People high in neuroticism are also more likely to evoke sympathy and attention from other people. Which can be good and can be bad. I don't know. I think it's mostly good, right? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. In what situation could that be bad? If it's too often, I think it could be bad. Yeah. If it's sometimes, then definitely not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, on average, people high in neuroticism fit or work better in environments that are more controlled and predictable. That is, like, 100% true. Really? That's why I'm, like, going for, like, I'm pursuing for the goal that I am. Because I know that it's going to be, like, a 9 to 5. You sit in this one room, and that's it for the whole day. Very predictable and, like, stable. I can't believe you want that. Most people, or not most people, but some people, like having kind of unpredictable new exciting kind of work yeah exactly but then you're like no i want to be in a very controlled environment yeah for health outcomes personalities associated with a number of health outcomes and high neuroticism and low in extroversion are associated with higher rates of morbidity and mortality and lower life expectancy overall lower yeah (laughs) so i'm oh my gosh no but you're not but i'm putting myself in less dangerous situations Uh, yeah i don't know where what the explanation is behind that but i think it's just a generalization in the population i see makes sense but countering this highly agreeable conscientious and open people tend to live longer and they have lower rates of morbidity interesting so So i'm like like, in i'm in the middle yeah you're like in the middle there so i I don't think you're gonna die early that's not not what i'm saying here but neuroticism and illness highly neurotic people are associated with lower mortality so this is like all contradicting itself so yeah so if you have worse health and you're neurotic you're more likely to live longer i know that doesn't make sense but it's because highly neurotic people pursue health more when they feel like they're like in pain or they're unwell yeah so like one thing that gets me down i'm like so you're more likely to seek help which is good oh i see yeah since since you worry about your health yeah like yourself so you're more likely to seek out help so more likely to live longer if you have fair or poor health yeah oh i see yeah Highly neurotic people are more likely to get knocked off course. That makes sense. Does that? Really? Yeah, I feel like since I'm like mentally unstable, sort of, <laughs> um, just a little bit, 
I feel like one thing can just like ruin my mood oh. or like ruin like whatever I'm doing for like the rest of the day. I'm like, I don't like this anymore. I'm going to go lay in my bed and like cry or whatever I do. Okay, I love that you gave that explanation because I didn't really understand that before. Okay, also individuals with high neuroticism experience more fatigue over the course of the day. They experience more grief and depression after a death of a loved one as well. Well, I wouldn't know the the latter part, but... Yeah. Okay, you can tell me if someone dies around you. (laughs) 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 Okay, maybe not. But I'll check in on you because I know that you will probably experience more grief. Mm. Okay. Psychologically, these individuals are more likely to have dissociative experiences such as an inability to recall important life events but i don't think maybe older maybe when you're older yeah yeah i don't know about that right now those high neuroticism also tend to have more frequent suicidal ideations and than those with lower neuroticism that's i mean that makes sense yeah definitely had my fair share (laughs) that got a little sad there but it's okay we're gonna move on from that (laughs) High on neuroticism reports poor health, physical health, more physical symptoms, and fewer attempts to engage in health-promoting behaviors. So what, before I said you're more likely to seek help, but you're less likely to engage in health-promoting behaviors. So I'll get help, but then if they tell me to do something, I'm going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Is that what you're telling me? I think, I think <laughs> since you're agreeable, you will try to do it yeah but you're gonna get knocked off course more easily Mm. also interpersonally those high on neuroticism have more ups and downs in their social relation relationships and experience sexual anxiety have you ever experienced sexual anxiety Mm. i shouldn't laugh so this is serious (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, um sexual anxiety i mean like i think all like sexual or at least for me it comes from just like body dysmorphia Mm. and being like don't look at me okay i guess sexual anxiety can present in different ways yeah but i don't really know what they mean by sexual anxiety other than like the whole body dysmorphia thing i maybe no some people just feel anxious when they're having sex oh no yeah like they'll just be like nervous oh you know yeah. No, I don't feel that at all. Okay. Well, then, yeah, that's that's good for you because that's not... Yeah. Probably not fun to experience. Yeah, no. But I don't think you have very many ups and downs in your f- social relationships. I find that your relationships are pretty stable because you're also really agreeable, so you're less likely to engage in... In confrontation yeah. or fighting or anything yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those high neuroticism actually outperform their more emotionally stable counterparts in an office setting where changes in the work need to needs to create an unusually busy work environment. They're more likely to succeed in a workplace when everything was normal and then suddenly there's like more workload, you're actually more likely to outperform your emotionally stable counterparts. Oh. Is it because I get stressed out and then I, like... Do more? Do more, like, feel the need to, like, work harder and do more? Yeah, I guess so. Because, like, that's an everyday stressor and wouldn't that just knock me off my track or whatever? I think if it's a long term, you're less likely to perform well. But Mm. if it's short term, I think you're able to, like... Outperform. Outperform. Emotionally stable people. Yeah, but then emotionally stable people can outperform you long term. Yeah. Like, they'll adapt. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, now we're going to go on to combinations of big five variables. Life outcomes are actually better predicted by combination because obviously everybody's combination of personality is different. Highly agreeable, emotionally unstable, and conscientious people are associated with more frequent social media use. I do spend a good amount of time <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> but I think that's a lot of us. I feel like... Especially es- these days. Especially in like modern society and our era, our life is pretty much on social media. Do you think that since people are going on social media more, they're becoming more unstable? I think so, yeah. A lot of people have like social media breaks because they can't, they feel like it's bad for their mental health and that happens a lot. So definitely it can be a good tool and also not very good for your mental health. Good grades are best predicted by highly conscientious and highly emotionally stable people. So a reason may be that emotionally stable people and conscientious people are less likely to procrastinate. Well, that's half of you. Yeah, that's half of me. Uh, educational attainment and earnings are predicted by highly high emotional stability, openness, and conscientiousness. So you are not emotionally stable. You're open and conscientious. So your educational attainment may be higher than those. I see. Yeah. Neuroticism really is just bite, like putting me in the dust back here. Yeah. You, you want to be emotionally stable. But over time, as you grow older, you actually become more emotionally stable, mm. generally speaking. Um, also, a substance use disorder, such as the use of illegal drugs, is, is linked to high neuroticism and low conscientiousness, which I don't think is for you. I don't think I've abused drugs. Yeah, I think you're fine. Aggression against other people when ang- angry is well predicted by neuroticism, but being high on agreeableness seems to cool the tempers. I mean, I think I'm like aware of my, if I get aggressive. Do you feel angry, but then you're agreeable, so it like cools you down? Kind of, you're like, no, I can't lash out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if I like get angry at my boyfriend, for example, mm-hmm. then we'd be like, Okay, girl, you need to calm down. Like, why are you like this? And then, and then, and then, neuroticism kicks in and be like, "Why are you like this? Like, you should stop being like this. Like, you need to be more agreeable." And then I, and then I put myself down. Oh my gosh, that neuroticism! It's a whole cycle. It's yeah, it's a never-ending loop there. But at least your agreeableness is there to like balance it out, because otherwise you would just be a very aggressive, emotionally unstable person. Yeah, I'm glad I also have my agreeableness to calm me down. Mm -hmm. Propensity to engage in disordered eating behaviors, including anorexic and bulimic tendencies, is associated with high neuroticism and low extroversion among female university students in Canada. Have you ever had problems with, like, eating or eating disorder behavior? I feel like I definitely have. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've had episodes of like binge eating it's mm-hmm. def- so it's not like binge eating is its own thing right? it's still an eating disorder yeah yeah like i remember there's times where i'm like i'm not hungry so i'm just like not gonna eat yeah and then you and then like yourself. it's uh, yeah i starve myself and then i end up eating like twice as much than i normally do yeah it's kind of like bulimia then yeah because bulimia but bulimia you like throw it up yeah 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 i feel like i've definitely grew out of that yeah definitely i feel that's i I feel so bad for 
young girls especially our age because what we see on social media we feel that we have to fit into this like size Mm. it's very it's very unfortunate okay pathological gambling is best predicted by a combination of high neuroticism and low conscientiousness have you ever gambled no pathological gambling is like disorder level gambling oh like you're addicted to it yeah you're like addicted to gambling no i've never gambled and i've never had the want yeah then again i've never tried so like one slot machine (laughs) might like send me out on a spiral (laughs) yeah i feel i've definitely gambled before but i've never felt like the urge to like oh i need to play one more time yeah i I don't have like this one i'm gonna get that i'm gonna hit the jackpot no next time i'm gonna get it because i also know that gambling is like a whole money-making scheme yeah you're not supposed to win yeah (laughs) like it's not it's not in your favor yeah happiness and experiencing positive affect in everyday life is best predicted by high extroversion and low neuroticism there are definitely days where like i don't feel like any happiness okay you know what everybody has those days for sure oh my god you turned into hannah montana (laughs) there you turned into hannah montana (laughs) How did it go again? Everybody, wait. That was everybody not. Ma- no, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody, everybody has, has those, those days. days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are some days where you feel more extroverted, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, there's days where like I actually want to hang out with people, mm-hmm. and then there's days where I'm just like, I want to. I'm gonna sit in my room alone. Yeah. I feel that too. I think. I, I, I am extroverted, but a lot of times I want to be at home too, but mm. with people around me. Oh, yeah. I don't like being completely isolated. Mm. That makes me sad. I definitely have more days where I want to be alone though than mm. being out. So I guess that's where my introversion comes in. Yeah. But I make my own happy and positive ex- experiences. I'm really glad you said that because it brings some positive light to those who have high neuroticism and low extroversion. But if you are on an extreme level of one of the big five traits, you're more likely to develop mental health disorders. I'm going to go over some of the disorders that have been linked to these personality traits. So borderline personality disorder is linked to high neuroticism. It includes self-image issues, difficulty managing emotions and behavior, and a pattern of unstable relationships. You may experience intense mood swings and feel uncertainty about how they see themselves. With borderline personality disorder, you also have an intense fear of abandonment or instability. You may also have difficulty tolerating being alone. If you are high on neuroticism, it also makes you more likely or more at risk to develop borderline personality disorder. But also, I think this is when people are less agreeable, less conscientious, less um, extroverted. This all kind of pushes the neuroticism forward more. Mm. But since you have these other traits kind of balancing you out, yeah, it, it's, it shouldn't be a problem. Mm. And then avoidant personality disorder is with extreme introversion and high neuroticism, chronic feelings of inadequacy, and... Uh, being highly sensitive to being negatively judged by others and then histronic is with extreme extroversion they display patterns of exaggerated emotionality and attention-seeking behaviors they're in they intend to manipulate others by exaggerating their emotions 
Oh. And then obsessive compulsive personality disorder is with extreme conscientiousness. It's characterized by pervasive preoccupation with orderliness, perfectionism, and control with no room for, f- for flexibility that ultimately slows and interferes with completing a task. They say that perfectionism is actually procrastination disguised as quality assurance. Oh. Huh. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. But I actually agree with that because whenever I try to be too perfect at something, it kind of slows me down. Yeah. And it makes me like want to procrastinate too. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, no, I'll do it later because it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then schizoid personality disorder comes with extreme introversion and low neuroticism. It's uncom- it's a very uncommon condition in which people avoid social activities and consistently shy away from interactions with others. They also have a limited range of emotional expression. And then lastly, schizotypal personality disorder comes with introversion, high neuroticism, low agreeableness, and extreme openness. This often is described as um, a person with odd or eccentric or unusual behavior, and they have very few close relationships. They generally don't understand how relationships form, and they don't understand how their behavior impacts others. That's kind of crazy. I never even... I don't ever met anyone. I've never, like, thought that, like, these, like, big five or, like, these, like, personality things can, like, like, low this, high that, can, like, bring certain disorders... Yeah, generally you want to be kind of in the middle range for all the traits. That considers you a quote-unquote normal person. Yeah. And if you're really high on one of the traits uh, or really low on one of the traits, it has some risks with it. And that concludes our discussion with our special guest, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Did you learn something new about yourself? Yeah, honestly, yeah, kind of. But it also kind of confirmed a lot of things you already knew, right? Yeah, no, it definitely did. Mm -hmm. Okay, bye! Bye! Even with all these differences with the big five traits and how they go about their lives, some situations may bring out unusual behavior. So in certain situations, it can provoke behavior that's out of character for someone. For example, maybe emergency situations or high-stress situations. These situations can bring out behavior that's unusual to that individual's personality. Also, there are some situations where most people react pretty similarly. These are called strong situations. So, for example, maybe public speaking. We often feel nervous. Most of us feel nervous when we're public speaking, and that's a common reaction regardless of personality. Also, losing a loved one. Feeling grief is a very common reaction regardless of your personality traits or type. This is different from weak situations. When situations are weak or ambiguous, personality has a very strong influence on your reaction. So for example, when a stranger smiles at you or maybe a text message can be very ambiguous. In these cases, personality really shines through. It's up to the person's interpretation of the situation. For example, if someone is smiling at you, a stranger, a highly neurotic person may think that the stranger has some ill intentions or is laughing at you, whereas maybe someone high in extroversion would think, oh, that person's very nice, I'm going to go talk to them, kind of interpretation of the situation. So the situation really matters in how personality 
is activated. Also, of course, personality changes over time. As we age, we change in personality. So some changes, some common changes that we've seen is in sensation seeking. So seeking out situations that are novel, exciting, or rewarding. And this increases from childhood to adolescence. Sensation seeking really peaks in early adolescence at around 16 to 20 years in age. And it decreases from adolescence to adulthood. So we get more mature and we don't seek out dangerous or novel situations as much. And another common change is in self-esteem. People differ in the degree to which self-esteem changes daily because self-esteem is more vulnerable to situational factors. But usually it changes from adolescence to adulthood. Self-esteem declines really rapidly during our adolescence and this is more significant for girls than boys. And then in adulthood, young men will recover from their decline in self-esteem much more quickly so they increase in self-esteem more quickly than young women so i guess girls suffer from lower self-esteem stronger and for longer than young men generally speaking and then from our young adulthood to middle age agreeableness conscientiousness emotional stability and social dominance our social confidence gradually increases and it reflects psychological maturity our brain and psychology mature, we become more agreeable, more conscientious, and less neurotic, and we become more self-confident as we grow older into our middle age. During this time, as we get older, we also decrease in openness and extroversion. This suggests that we are less inclined to go out and have social gatherings than when we were younger, which I guess makes sense. It's very common I, I would see around me at least. And it may be a factor of energy levels and also other key developmental patterns. So as we get older, we're less engaged to the world around us. And we also may not be as open to new ideas. Another thing I wanted to touch on is changeability of personality. Changeability really varies from person to person. Some people change a lot, others change less, and some not at all. It really depends on both situational and individual factors. And some of us are more malleable than others, often as a result of life circumstances, resources that are available to us, and our personality trait. People high in openness are more susceptible to changes in personality. According to a meta-analysis, which compiled re results from all studies done ever on personality change and development, personality change continues beyond our 30s and peaks at our 50s. There's evidence that change can even occur through our 70s and 80s, but to a lesser degree, which I thought was kind of surprising. I thought most of our personality change would happen in our young adulthood, but I guess it peaks in our 50s. We're going to change a lot when we're 50, I guess. I don't know. But this is also assuming very gradual and small changes since personality is quite enduring over time. With that, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you for making it to the end. And of course, please do not take this information and say this is completely true to yourself. You are all different. These studies are trying to generalize to the population that they were studying. Your life can turn out way different from someone with the same personality as yourself. And it is very, very unlikely for you to have the same personality as anybody else. 
Okay, I hope you enjoyed and maybe learned something about your own personality type. Go take that big five personality test on truity.com. You may learn some new things about yourself. All right, see you next time.